So hi everybody, uh, my name is Dwayne, if I don't know you yet, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and the thing that you need to know about me today is that I love travel. Um, I love to travel, I love taking trips, my wife and I both love travel, but that's not necessarily that unusual, I think a lot of us love travel, but what makes me a little bit more unusual is that I actually love planning travel. I love to actually like make the this, the itinerary and book the places and figure out the schedule for each day and like it totally stresses Elisa out she doesn't like that part of it she's like you plan it I'll show up and have a good time but when we travel I like totally get jazzed like months ahead of time and I'm like writing down in notebooks and I have different itineraries and like if the weather's bad on that day we'll do that because it's inside and then if the weather's good we'll do that and I've got like a third day forecast and planning what we're doing when and it's just, I love doing it. And like, I, I, I love planning travel almost as much as I like traveling. Not quite. And I say almost because, you know, I thought to myself, gee, could I, could I like get a job to plan travel? That might be kind of fun. And then I realized, no, because like after I plan it, I really want to go on the trip. And that's kind of a really weird travel agency, right? That's like, so I'm going to book your travel, and I got, you, I got you a nice Airbnb with three bedrooms for your family and a fourth bedroom for me, because I'm coming with you. I think that's kind of the world's creepiest travel agency, so I don't think that's something I'm going to do. But um, if, if you want me to plan a trip for you, as long as I can go on the trip, I'll do it for you. But I, I love that. But, but the thing is, travel, even though we, many of us love it, it does take some effort and some energy to plan, right? It's, it's a little bit... Um, it's a little bit stressful and a little bit burdensome, but at least for me and my family, in the end, it's always really fulfilling, right? Going on that trip somehow gives you more life and more energy, and you come home more tired than you left, but you have great memories, and you have this wonderful joy and this deep sense of, of fulfillment. That's what trips and travel can do for us. We've been talking last week and, and this week, and we're going to continue next week, talking about the idea of stress, most specifically talking about burnout. When stress gets to the point where you get stuck in that cycle of stress that, that you're just burnt out and you can't move forward. But the interesting thing is, our faith is often described as a journey, a faith journey. When Jesus first called his disciples, he said, follow me. And we talk about being followers of Jesus. Even the name of our faith community invokes the idea of a journey, the life path that we are traveling on, right? So I want to talk about travel today. We're going to look at a story in Scripture where Jesus is on the road, he's traveling, and Luke, as a brilliant storyteller, brings out three specific things that we need to know as we follow Jesus in the journey of faith. And I want to put out there today that one of the ways that we can cope with burnout and avoid burnout or get out of burnout is by really doubling down on this idea of going somewhere on a journey, giving ourselves a destination, moving forward in our faith journey with Jesus. And I think that's one of the ways that we can really um, help with, with burnout. We're going to talk about three things, um, and these three elements are going to come up in the story. It's at the very end of Luke chapter 9, we'll read it in just a second, but Luke does such a brilliant job. There's six verses, and two verses each describe three interactions uh, with these characters along the path that Jesus falls uh, in line with. And, 
And we're going to see that in order to follow Jesus, we have to keep moving. In order to follow Jesus, we need to make sure that we don't get stuck. And when we follow Jesus, it's important that we don't look back. So these are three instances. I'm going to go ahead and uh, uh, let's, let's go ahead and read them together. We'll put the first one up. The end of Luke, it's important to know that Jesus is on a journey. He is actually, he's on a journey. He's traveling back to Jerusalem. Um, chapter 9 is a busy chapter. There's a lot of things in Luke chapter 9 that go on. Um, we don't know exactly where he's coming from, but the last geography that is mentioned in that chapter is Bethsaida. It's a place he was uh, near when he fed the 5,000. And, and the, the distance, the mileage from Bethsaida to Jerusalem is over 80 miles. So Jesus is on a journey that's about the distance from here to Washington, D.C. And obviously he's on, on the journey on foot and he's traveling along the way. And obviously a lot of things are going to happen, but Luke chooses to tell us these three interactions. Not because Luke is interested in recording every detail of history, but because Luke wants us to know these are the three things important. If you're going to follow Jesus as a disciple, here are three key factors. So here's what happens. As they were going along the road on their way to Jerusalem... Someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And then they keep going on. We'll go to the next one. To another, he said, follow me. Jesus says, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And then the next one, another person says to him, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So these three sayings, these three uh, instances, we can't take them in isolation. We have to look at them together because I believe they paint a more complete picture of what Luke is trying to tell us about being on a journey with Jesus, about traveling along the road. So uh, we can go to the next slide just so those are up for you so you can keep them in your head. Uh, and regarding the first one, keep moving. In the first instance, uh, when Jesus encounters the first person and that person says, hey, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus has this bizarre response that sometimes we're not really sure what he meant. Like he doesn't answer the question, right? He doesn't even like address that. It's like he's talking to no one. He's like, oh, birds have nests and foxes have holes, but the son of man has no, like, what are you talking about, Jesus? And, and, and what we really have to get at here is Jesus is talking about being on the journey He's not, he's not saying he doesn't ever sleep. Obviously, he sleeps. He's a human being. But, but I think what's going on here is he's trying to, to paint the picture that when a bird builds a nest, that takes time and effort. If you've ever seen a bird over days and days building a nest, that's some like tedious labor going on. And the nest is not portable. It's not like the bird can say, oh, you know what? Let's pick this up and go over here today. It stays there and remains until the eggs get laid and the eggs hatch and the chicks get weaned and then they go and they leave the nest and then then maybe you can leave same thing with with a fox den right it takes time to build it and create it jesus is saying don't take the time don't stagnate you you if you're following me you can't get stuck building something for yourself and not thinking about moving forward always keep moving when you're following jesus in our faith journey we always have to keep moving when I think about this, I think, you know, why is it that we don't often talk about the goal of our faith? 
We don't, we don't often talk about what's the, what's the whole point? What's, what am I aiming for? If faith is a journey, what's the destination? And maybe some of us think, well, the destination is eternal life in heaven with Jesus. Well, that's great, right? And if we believe, as I do, that there is a moment when we uh, encounter salvation and the, the grace of God enters our life through Jesus and, and, we, and we are saved, and then our ultimate goal is heaven, which happens after we die, what happens in the middle? Like, what's going on for all those years, right? What's the point? What's the goal? And I think if we start thinking about the ways that we might express our goals in our faith, it gives us more purpose and more direction and we can keep moving. We have goals at work. We all have goals in our career, like maybe, maybe you want to get that promotion or maybe you want to increase your sales or maybe, maybe you want to find a new job that's got different skills, whatever. Like we set goals for ourselves. We set personal fitness goals. I want to lose a certain amount of weight or I want to be able to run a certain amount of distance, right? I mean, why don't we set goals for our faith? Why don't we say, hey, you know, at the end of this year, I want to be able to say, look back and say, this is what I've done. This is where I've gone in my faith journey. We know we're supposed to pray. Well, well what's, what's the goal? Are you measuring that? Are you saying, hey, I want to pray so I can have a deeper sense of peace and fulfillment in life. I want to have a, a richer life of prayer so I can be more fully connected to what God is doing in the world. And I want to be aware of that. Like, what is the actual goal? We have to keep moving. Otherwise, we stagnate. If we stagnate and build a nest and settle down in our faith, then we're not moving forward. We're not moving forward. So I want you to think about, uh, here at Life Path, we have um, kind of a threefold expression of our mission, right? We have the idea that, that our, our mission as a church and also it, it extends to us as individuals, our, our mission is uh, reconnection with Jesus, reconnection with one another, and reconnection with God's redemptive work in the world. What kind of goals might you set in your life of reconnecting with Jesus, in your, your personal, in your inner life, right? What kind of goals might you set in your, your life with one another? You want to maybe say, you know what? I think one of my goals is to make deeper connections with other followers of Jesus so that whatever that goal might be. Or maybe one of my goals is just simply I just, I'm missing connection and I want to find a person and I want to be able to get together with them every week and have breakfast so we can have some, some, some time together and talking about life and our, and our discipleship journey, right? What, just the idea is what are some goals? Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward in your faith. Burnout happens when we stop. We stay in one place too long and we get stuck. So keep moving. Now, the second story that we encountered uh, was interesting because this is the only one Jesus actually says to the person, follow me. He said it to other people, but among these three, it was the only one of the three where Jesus says, come follow me. And the man says this sort of unusual thing. He says, okay, but first let me go bury my father. And I think it's important to understand because otherwise Jesus' words seem a little harsh here. Uh, just a quick aside, it's important to understand what, what death and mourning and burial was like in the ancient Near East at that time. Uh, in, in the Hebrew culture, it was, it was, a, it was a long and uh, complex process that was full of a lot of ritual. At the beginning, when someone passed away, there was an intense period of mourning. 
uh, that involved staying in your home and involved being silent and speaking to no one. So it's pretty certain that the man who is responding to Jesus' call isn't talking about, oh, my father just passed away and I have to go have a funeral service for him. The first thing that happens is the intense period of mourning uh, and then you prepare the body and you lay the body in a tomb. The second thing that happens is a year later, you go back into the tomb and you retrieve the bones and you wrap the bones and you put them in a box and you bury the box. It was likely that second phase that was going on. And so Jesus, not to be insensitive, but Jesus says to him, let the dead bury their own dead. That's in your past. That's something that you don't need to be obligated to do. If you want to follow me, what does he say? He says, you go proclaim the kingdom of God. Let the dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I think what Luke is trying to tell us here is that sometimes there are obligations that get us stuck and we can't keep moving forward. Luke says, keep moving with the first story. With the second little story, he says, don't get stuck by obligations to things that are going to keep you from proclaiming the kingdom of God. Now, obviously, uh, not all obligations are bad. We all have obligations, and we can't just sort of lose all of our obligations, right? Um, we, we have connections to other people. We have responsibilities. Uh, we have families. We have all kinds of things. So I don't think that this is really about just cutting ties with everything. I'm not asking you to quit your job and, and sell your house and just go do something, although, I don't know, maybe if God's telling you to do that, maybe you should, but, but the idea is, I think here in this story, Jesus is saying, if that's more important to you than following me on this journey, it's not going to work out. Your goal is to proclaim the kingdom. Your job is to proclaim the kingdom. If you want to follow me, that's what Jesus is saying. And the obligations sometimes tie us down. I remember when Elisa and I were, were younger, we had been married a few years, and um, I was a, uh, an associate youth pastor in a church, and um, we felt this really strange calling from God. It felt like God was calling us to pack up everything we owned and move from Texas to California just to go be near this church and this ministry and this particular youth pastor. No, I wasn't moving for a job. It wasn't like I got a job offer. We just felt God saying, quit your job, sell everything, you know, pack up what you've got, move to California, and, and just trust me. And it was weird, and it was hard, and it was really scary. And we did it, and it was actually really amazing, and it was, it was there's, a, there's a longer story there that I'll tell you some other day. But, but I remember when that was happening, and we were getting ready to move, there were a lot of older adults in our life at that time. We're in our mid-20s probably at that point. And there were was, there was some older adults in our life, um, either um, uh, parents of youth in the youth group that I was working with or other uh, um, uh, staff and, and pastors. I almost said faculty and staff. <laughs> Sorry, just from my job. Other, other pastors and other staff at the church who, um, and they, they were all encouraging. They were all encouraging, but, but many of them said something that sounded a little bit like this. It's so great that you're doing this while you're young. Because the implication is when you get older and you're tied down and connected, you can't just follow God on a whim like this. And I remember thinking to myself in my youthful naivete, I was thinking, oh, if I ever get to a place in my life when I am too tied down to stuff to follow God's call, that's a sad day for me. I hope that I'm always, well, you know what? Guess what, folks? I got a nice job. I've got a mortgage now. I've got a kid in college and another one going in a couple of years. Like, I don't know. If, if God asked me tomorrow... It would have to be very clear and unambiguous 
But if he asked me tomorrow to do something that drastic, I might think twice and I might be in that position of like, oh, well, maybe let's wait till the kids are done with college. Can we do that, God? Or maybe let's wait till we get a little bit more money in the retirement account. Maybe when I'm, maybe when I'm 59 and a half, is that what it is? Like when the government says I can finally take money out, like maybe that's when I'll go, God, or, you know, like I would start be thinking about those obligations, right? And Jesus would have to say to me, look, let the retired do their own retirement. You proclaim the kingdom of God. I think the goal here, the point is to prayerfully consider what things might be keeping you from something God is calling you to do. We don't have to lose all of our obligations, but don't get stuck. Don't get stuck just because there's something that you feel really tied to. Maybe if you let go of that, maybe God can bring you on a journey that's even more fulfilling and you can follow him. Hebrews 12, you might know this. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Throw off everything that hinders. What's hindering you from going on the journey with Jesus? What's getting you stuck? What's getting you stuck? Remember, burnout is when you get stuck. It's not just extreme stress. It's stress that never, the cycle never closes and you get stuck where you are. And you need to move forward to get out of that. The third story, uh, interestingly, um, is another thing where where a person comes to Jesus and volunteers information and says, um, hey, I'll follow you, uh, but before I do, I need to go say goodbye to my friends. That's what it says in another translation. And this one, it says, I need to go um, say farewell to those in my home, right? So so I need to go and I need to, to kind of say my goodbyes and then I'll come with you. And again, another thing that seems really insensitive, Jesus says, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And it sounds really harsh, and I think my problem with that whole phrase has always been the word fit. It feels so nasty to say, you're just unfit. You're not fit for the kingdom. But when you look at the word, it's not as bad as it seems. It really simply means, the word fit means useful. Fit just means useful. So when Jesus says you're not fit for the kingdom, he says you're, you're of no use to the kingdom. <laughs> you're not useful in the kingdom of God if you keep looking behind you, if you keep looking back. The, the, the metaphorical reality of what Jesus is talking about in plowing um, actually is, is really significant as well. I don't know a lot about farming. I'm not a farmer, but I, I have seen it on TV, so I, I kind of feel like I'm enough of an expert that I could at least faking my way through this illustration, that when you, when you are plowing, even today, um, farmers, those of you who grew up on a farm, don't judge me. So when you're, when you're plowing, even with machinery today, if you don't get your rows straight, and if you don't get your rows evenly spaced out, it causes big problems down the road. It causes big problems to fertilize and to harvest and et cetera, et cetera, right? And, and so here's the thing. In, in Jesus' time, it was still important to have straight rows, really important, but the soil at that, in that part of the ancient Near East was very rocky, and it was hard to make a straight line with a plow. You're going to have an animal that's pulling it probably, and you have to guide the animal, but you also you have your hand on the plow. That's what Jesus is talking about. So you've got your hand on the plow, and you're guiding the plow in a straight line. And it's rocky soil, and you're trying to make sure it's straight, and you're watching where you're going, right? And if you take your eye off 
and look behind you, all of a sudden your line isn't straight. You've done that in a car. You've been in your car and you reach to the kids. You're like, stop, stop doing that, kids. Whoa. You know, and you're like, yeah, it happens. The idea of a straight line means you've got to keep your eye on the destination. You've got to keep moving forward and you can't look back. So on your journey of faith with Jesus, what is Jesus saying here? What are we talking about? Looking back uh, could mean good things or bad things, right? Sometimes there are things in our past, uh, we, have, we have woundedness, we have hurts, we have, we have things that have really been um, maybe even trauma that we've experienced. The idea is that not that you can just ignore that and move on and forget about it, but if you dwell on it, if you're constantly looking behind you, if you're saying to yourself, I can't step into church because I was hurt by church before, and as, as Britt even mentioned in her story just now, which is great, I think so many of us have had that. We've had woundedness in our past, and it's, it's prevented us from moving forward and looking ahead in our faith. And Jesus is saying, if you look back, you're not as useful in the kingdom of God. But it can also be good things, right? Sometimes we look back and we say, oh my gosh, I had this amazing mountaintop experience at this other thing that happened in this other time in my life and it was so great and I've spent so many years trying to recreate that or recapture that or find that again, that mountaintop experience. It's kind of like the transfiguration, right? Actually, also in the same chapter as this, Luke 9, a little bit earlier, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up onto a mountain, and he like turns into like this radiant, glorious figure, and Moses appears, and Elijah appears, and Peter, James, and John are like, whoa, this is amazing. We need to build, we need to be, build three shelters here. And the word shelters, what, the, what that means is tents. Basically, they're like, we need to camp out here, guys. Let's build a tent for Moses. It's a Moses tent. We got the Jesus tent. We got the Elijah tent. We'll just have a camp out and a campfire and we'll sing around the fire and it'll be awesome. And God's voice says, this is my son who I love. Listen to him. Follow him. And then they look up and Jesus is back to normal and Jesus says, let's go folks. No camping out. And they go back down the mountain and they get right back in the business of healing the sick, of dealing with the things that the disciples had to deal with. They get right back to work. There's no camping out on the mountaintop, right? Sometimes we spend our time looking back both at negative things and or positive things and it keeps us from looking forward and moving ahead in our journey. So I think this is what Luke is trying to tell us in this part of the story as well. In Philippians it says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what is behind. We need to think about where we're going. We need to think about what's down the road. We need to work towards that goal. So I think there are lots of different ways to talk about burnout and address burnout and deal with stress. And they're, they're, they're all good. Um, I think one of the great ways to deal with stress that I'm not teaching about this morning, although I could on another day, is uh, centering prayer. Centering prayer is a fantastic way to deal with, with stress. Centering prayer is an amazing spiritual practice that, that has incredible benefits. It actually allows the spirit of Jesus to transform you from the inside out, and it is phenomenal. But it also has some scientifically verifiable physiological benefits because any meditation like centering prayer is going to do something different to your brain when you are stressed out, your, your um, survival brain, your primitive brain, is 
pumping out the fight or flight stuff. Keith talked about this last week a little bit. And when you engage in centering prayer and that sort of uh, contemplative practice, it actually allows your, uh, your uh, prefrontal cortex to take over that and, and settle down that process that you're that your survival brain is engaging in that fight or flight. So there's an amazing spiritual benefit to this prayer, but there's also a physiological benefit that can actually help your stress. And the reason I find that not so hard to believe is because God invented prayer, God invented your brain, so it makes sense that those things both work together, right? So that kind of, and it's a great way to manage stress, right? And it's it's awesome. Um, There's also the idea of rest. Next week, Keith is going to talk about rest. And when you are in stress and when you are burnt out you need to have appropriate rhythms of rest in your life and that's great and it may sound like what i'm talking about today of being on a journey and working hard towards a goal it may sound like that that's the opposite of rest and i think it's not exactly the opposite of rest that's why i started with the idea of a vacation the right kind of trip planned the right way something that really engages with your soul if you're if you're journeying with jesus in a way that is right then you are you are being fulfilled you are being energized you're being being uh, supplied with that sort of uh, forward momentum lots of experts say that one of the best ways to deal with burnout is to have a purpose to live your life with a greater purpose and it helps you from getting stuck helps you from getting burnt out and sometimes we do this in other areas of our lives. I know for, for Elisa and myself, um, you know, parenting, parenting is one of the hardest things that human beings do. And I have all the sympathy in the, sympathy in the world for, for any parent because it's not easy to raise another human being. And I understand that sometimes it gets stressful and sometimes we get burnt out. One of the ways that, that helped Elisa and I when, when we were able to engage in this sort of thinking, which wasn't always, um, one of our kids was harder to raise than the other. I'll let you figure out which one. Um, but when we engaged in this kind of thinking, it, it would help us. The, the greater purpose for us, we always tried to think, who, who, is our, who, who are we trying to raise? Who, who do we want our child to become? Not as a child, but as an adult, right? And oftentimes, the very things we love about adults are the things we don't want in children, right? We love adults who are, who are innovative, uh, who think outside the box, you know, adults who are entrepreneurial and creative thinkers and free spirits, those are really good qualities and a lot of, a lot of employers look for those things. But you don't want a five-year-old that's thinking outside the box. Get back in the box. Stay in the box for the love of all that is holy. Please don't get out of the box. Because if that kid gets out of the box one more time, I may actually put him in a box, right? I mean, that's what we're thinking. But a five-year-old that's thinking outside the box is different than an adult that's thinking outside the box. But if you live that parenting journey with the idea that, okay, they're becoming something amazing, they're becoming something amazing, they're becoming, you know, sometimes it can help. The greater purpose can help you get past those moments where it's difficult. We do the same thing in our jobs, right? I have a job, my job at the university, I teach at the university, and my job, literally, I teach the same classes every day year and i've known professor who who can phone it in i can't how do i keep myself motivated because i have a greater purpose when i go to work and i'm sitting in front of my students and i know that one day those students are going to go out and be teachers in schools i want to make sure that those students are getting everything they need to go out and make a difference in the lives of children in the world 
to bring love into the world, to actually make things better through what they're doing. And so every year I come back to my classes with fresh enthusiasm and fresh energy to recreate what we're doing. Can I do this better? Can I teach this better? Can I make my students better at this so they can go impact the world? The greater purpose allows me to not get stuck. So what about your faith life? What about your journey with Jesus? Are you stuck? Have you been stuck? What's the greater purpose? Sometimes it's easy for us to forget. It's like, well, I'm supposed to go to church every week. I'm supposed to read my Bible. I'm supposed to pray. And then I'm supposed to obey some stuff and be nice to people and love people. And I probably should do some sort of like service or ministry thing, right? Like, and it becomes more like obligations and less like, where are we headed? What's the goal? I think it comes back to what Jesus said to the second guy. Right after he said, let the dead bury their own dead, he said, you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. What does it mean to proclaim the kingdom? Really quickly, a kingdom has three parts. There's a ruler, there's a reign, and there's a realm, right? In the kingdom that Jesus is talking about, the ruler is Jesus, the ruler is God, but Jesus sits at the right hand of God and all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. So Jesus is the ruler. The reign is, what do we mean when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done? The reign of God on earth is when peace and justice come into being. It's when righteousness is, is made real. It's shalom. And if you missed it, Lori started her shalom study today, so you can still probably jump in on that. It's going to be a great study, and it's a great book. We are called to make shalom, bring God's shalom into being everywhere we are. The ruler is Jesus. The reign is the shalom of God that we bring in actively by our work and by our effort. And the third thing is the realm. What is the realm? The realm is everybody and everything that submits to the rule and the reign of Jesus. So our goal, our job, our purpose... What's your big purpose in your faith life? Where are you headed? What's the destination of the journey? It is, number one, to align yourself with the ruler. So that's your personal, your inner life. But it's not only, it doesn't stop there. The next thing is, you're called to bring God's rule into being, bring the shalom into existence. And you can do that through, through individual work with people who have needs. You can do that, some of us do it through um, maybe even trying to change the, the broken uh, systems and structures of our society and of our government. And some of us do that through um, actually working individually um, in, in prisons or with, with homeless families or, or whatever it is. We, we, we bring God's shalom into being. And the third piece of that is how do we extend the realm we invite other people into that journey with us. And we try to get other people to come alongside us in, in making shalom happen in the world. That's the goal. That's the purpose. The journey that we're on with Jesus has a destination. And I know I'm speaking personally for myself. I sometimes forget that. And if I allow it to become obligation, if I allow it to become, oh, I have to do this, have to do this, have to do this, I get stuck. And I can't move forward. So with burnout, burnout is getting stuck. Burnout is when you can't move forward because you've just got so much stress and you, you've gotten stuck. And I really think that, that thinking about it as a journey can be invigorating, it can be life-giving, it can actually get you moving again, and you can get somewhere 